Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio. I'm Dominic Frisby and in today's program I'm talking to Mike Mishedlock who is an investment advisor for Sitka Pacific Capital and editor of the superb website globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com and Mike you're in Chicago is that right? I'm in a little town called Prairie Grove, which would be about um, oh, about an hour, um, hour and a half north of Chicago. Yes. Good stuff. And and for the purposes of this uh, conversation, Mike, I'm going to call you Mish because we have another Mike on the line, and the other Mike is on the other side of the world in Hong Kong. He was formerly an oil derivatives trader with Chase Manhattan. He's Mike Hampton, a private investor and an author who. Many who spend time online will know as Dr. Bub, a nom de plume which derives from debt bubble, something he foresaw many years ago. So Hampton's in Hong Kong, Shedlock's an hour and a half north of Chicago, and I'm in London where it's the middle of the night. Gentlemen, before we start, Happy New Year. But Mike Hampton, let's start with you. Um, what do you see happening in 2009? Give us a general overview. Sure. Um, and Happy New Year. Um, first, uh, looking back at 2008, um, I think in the first half we had uh, a different theme than the second half, obviously. So the theme for the first half was commodities, uh, with all commodity prices, uh, and particularly oil, going up massively. And the second half was deleveraging, um, where uh, commodity prices went back down, and in the case of oil, went further down than they'd gone up in the first half. Um, now, that deleveraging theme um, looks as if the worst is over to me, and uh, we may be ready for another theme. Um, and that theme was quite important because effectively uh, lots and lots of dollar gearing um, was, dollar debt, was repaid. And that had the interesting effect of uh, forcing hedge funds to sell assets and uh, since they've been buying all these commodities in the first half, um, they sold them off pretty heavily in the second half. Um, and uh, it also had the effect of, as dollar debts got repaid, people were selling all sorts of assets, commodities to emerging markets, stocks, and so forth. Um, it meant people, as they sold those assets in other currencies, the money got shifted into into dollars, and the dollar was very strong. So I think... Maybe this period of deleveraging is the worst has been seen. We're near an end. And the trends we saw in the second half of 2008 might be about to reverse. Um, having said that, we're now stuck with a very serious problem in the economy. And there's going to be some cross-currents between those economic influences and, uh, and the end of deleveraging. But some big themes I'll be looking for this year um, are um, a reversal um, in the um, treasury interest rates, which have been falling uh, dramatically in the second half. I'm looking for higher rates. Um, I think Mish might have some different opinion on that, um, but I'm looking for treasury rates potentially to go a lot higher, and I'm looking for oil prices to stop dropping during the course of the year and by the end of the year, I'm expecting them to be headed higher. It's interesting that in the commodity markets themselves, um, the oil price, which is spot now is in the sort of 40s, mid-40s region, um, the price by the end of the year um, is in the region of $62 right now, $64 maybe even, uh, based on yesterday's action in the commodities market. So um, there is some built-in price expectation that, that commodities will rise again. A $62 oil price will not get us hyperinflation. It won't even get us high inflation, but it might mean that some of the deflationary influences we've been seeing are starting to slow. I'll have some more specific things to say, but I just wanted to get that summary out of the way before we move on. 
Okay, let, Mish, let's turn it over to you. What, what, what themes do you see emerging? I like those words that Mike said, uh, cross-currents. I think that's good. Um, I wrote a blog on uh, my ideas for uh, some recapping 2008 and 2009, and had I come up with the words cross-currents, I think that's that, that describes exactly what we're going to see in 2009. So um, take I, that. I will just... I'll just interrupt you very quickly, Miss, just to say, as you mentioned your blog, um, it's a superb piece, and I would recommend any uh, listeners to read it. It's under the title Reflections on 2008, Themes for 2009, and you can find it at Global Economic Analysis. It's, it's one of the best uh, forecasting pieces that I've read, if not the best. Anyway, Miss, sorry to interrupt, but it's, 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 it's better that it comes from me than it comes from you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you can, uh, readers can, listeners can do a search for Mish, M-I-S-H, and um, then um, you can find my blog that way. And then do a search for Reflections on 2008. There's a search bar at the top of my blog. Um, I'm a pro prolific writer, so I write four or five times a day. This will easily scroll off in a few days. But if you do a Google search for Mish, M-I-S-H, you can find my blog, and then uh, type in that bar, Reflections on 2008. You can find the uh, post we're referring to. The theme for uh, uh, 2008, I mean, we just had disaster after disaster with the uh, stock market falling, Treasury yields falling and most people being on the wrong side of that trade. We had rising unemployment. We had the collapse of Bear Stearns, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers. We had a $700 billion bailout that the public didn't want, but Paulson insisted upon, and Congress eventually passed after it failed the first time. Um, I can sum up all of those things, um, including we had Treasuries uh, being a big winner, and the dollar rallying. And the theme for all of that, there's only one word for it, and that word is deflation. And people were in denial, and I believe they're still in denial over deflation. And once again, this, this all depends on what one's definition of deflation and inflation is. If one looks at this from a pure monetary standpoint, um, that inflation is an increase in the money supply, then we did not experience deflation. And we're not going to experience deflation. However, I don't believe that that is the correct way of looking at things. I believe one needs to bring credit into the equation. And my definition of inflation is an increase, a net increase in the um, monetary uh, supply and credit. And deflation is the opposite, a decrease in money supply and credit. And there's no question in my mind that um, we have seen um, a decrease in the credit side that has overwhelmed any increase that we've seen in monetary stimulus coming from the Fed. And one can see that just by looking at the conditions that one would expect to see in deflation. And those conditions would be Falling Treasury yields, I was one of the very few that called for um, all-time record lows in Treasury yields. We've seen that. Um, we've seen it in rising corporate bond yields, um, which is rising credit, rising credit risk in corporate bonds. We've seen it in the um, plunging CPI. We've had record decreases in the amounts of prices on goods and services. We've seen it in the collapse of commodities. We've seen it in a collapse in the stock market, unlike anything the United States has seen since the Great Depression. We've seen rising unemployment. These are all of the conditions. There's even more of them. Uh, there's about 12 or 13 different things that one would expect to see in deflation. And every one of them uh, uh, happened in 2008. So one can stick to a dogmatic approach and say, well, inflation is related to uh, um, money supply only. But I don't believe that in a fiat world that we're in, that that is the correct way to look at things. The credit side has been and will remain more important through 2009. Now, um, let's let's talk about the theme that uh, Michael just said of cross currents. 
he, um, I, I agree with him uh, 100% that we are going to see some cross-currents. In fact, we're starting to see cross-currents right now. Uh, the long bond is, is selling off. Um, uh, equities are uh, starting to go up, although I'm very skeptical of this rally myself. Uh, and In fact, it, it's, I think it's going to end sooner rather than later which is going to bring us um, back to where we were. Uh, I think equity prices are going to uh, continue down. I've got a target on the S&P of, of 600, and if one wants a range, 450 to 700. And assuming that we get to the target that I suggested, and we might not get there, but that target on the S&P was 1,000, if we fall to the 600 that I'm suggesting, that's a 40% decline from there. Anyhow you look at it, even if we start falling now, it's a 30, 35% fall from here. And that's if just the top of my target is hit at 600. If we fall to, to uh uh, 450, which I think is possible on the S&P, that is a decline of 50% from here. That is massive. Um, um, although I'm with Mike, uh, I think energy is likely to be one of the stronger sectors. We may have seen a bottom. I'm not going to come out and be as emphatic as he had in suggesting that the bottom is in. But the bottom might be in. And... The bottom might be in in yields, but um, I don't think this is a good time to uh, uh, short treasuries. I think if um, I think if we see a rise in interest rates, that uh, that is a basis for saying that the the reflation that that Obama is attempting to to do is working. If that works, I think commodities will soar. If that fails, I don't think commodities will soar. And I think we're going to see a tail of two halves or maybe a tail of three quarters in 2009 where um, the first three quarters of the year, perhaps through September, um, Obama doesn't get traction, that more jobs are lost than, than gained, that the stock market continues to sink and, and hits this bottom that I'm looking for, and that any real recovery, and it'll be a weak one, if that, won't, even, won't begin until the fourth quarter of this year. That's how I'm looking at things. Um, something similar to what Mike said, and, and some things different. Great stuff, Mish. Um, I've just got um, a, a quick question for you before, before I bring Hong Kong Mike back into the conversation. The monetary system relies on ever-expanding debt, and what we've seen is, is contracting debt, and that's, that's created, uh, you could say that's created the mess that we're in. How do policymakers get that debt bubble expanding again? How do they get people borrowing again? I don't think they do, and 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 that is the uh, point of, of of why I think the stock market heads back down. I don't believe that um, um, Bernanke, that the Treasury can force banks to lend. I think they're trying to. There's no question they're trying to, and attempting to uh, you know bringing the yields down to well, they're zero on short-term treasuries, even out to six months, uh, essentially zero on those. They're punishing uh, savers, attempting to get them to spend. But, but what is the public doing? Uh, I'm seeing more and more reports of frugality. People don't want to buy. They don't want to spend. They're trying to pay back their debt, not just in the United States, but in the U.K. Same thing is happening in the U.K., where people are are paying off their mortgages at the fastest rate in history, they're they're no longer extracting cash from their mortgages for consumption. Actually, that that whether they want to do that or not, that window shut off in both the United States and the UK. The, uh, consumers uh, are unable to pull equity out of their houses. In the most part, they don't even have any equity. We have boomers heading into retirement that are scared to death. They were decimated in their houses first, and then in 2008, their stock market holdings were decimated. They're heading into retirement. They realize they don't have enough money to get them through retirement, 
And it's almost a panic recognition of the need to save. And I think that is the headwind that Bernanke is facing here. And it was the tailwind that was at Greenspan's back. Greenspan had, you know, all of this, the, the, the rising market, the bigger bubble. We had a bubble in the NASDAQ that was followed by the bubble that's, that's not going to be exceeded, in my opinion, in, in housing and debt, not just in the United States, but throughout the world. The central banks are going to attempt to fight that, but I think they're not, they're, they're not going to win. I don't see housing prices rising until 2012, so that immediately knocks the hyperinflation argument out. And um, when consumers want to save, we're seeing it. There's articles in the Wall Street Journal today um, uh, um, about consumers saving more. I think that's going to be the theme heading on. And we still have the debt destruction that's going to come when unemployment rises to 9, 10, 11% maybe later on this year. I think we're going to see 2 million jobs lost in the first four or five months of this year. Obama wants to create 2 to 3 million jobs. He's going to need to do that just to break even. All of these forces, the consumer sentiment, the willingness to, to, uh, willingness not to spend, actually, but to start saving, all of these things are headwinds blowing stiffly in the face of a central bank that's trying to reflate, not just in the United States, but worldwide. It's, uh, we, we have a leader in Gordon Brown who is the master of contradictory policies. Uh, and uh, on one hand, he's uh, blaming the bank banks for this crisis and saying it's their irresponsible lending that caused the whole thing. And with the other hand, he's uh, desperately trying them to get them to lend again. And, and you kind of think, well, which do you want? Do you want irresponsible lending or not? <laughs> exactly. Why, why don't you talk a little bit more about that? It's the same thing going on here in the United States, going on in China. It's going on in Canada. It's going on in Australia, but 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 you are correct. What's interesting, though, is the willingness, you know, that I see for at least the discussion to be on the table coming coming out of the UK. You, you, you will hear things coming out from the Bank of England that you will never hear come out from the Fed. You will hear them say things like, "Well, things are going to get worse." You hardly ever hear the Fed say things are going to get worse. You always say things are going to get better. At least you have a discussion over there. But yes, uh, 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 Brown is off in fantasy land. Well, uh, and Brown had never once admitted to any failing ever, and he's—I uh, <laughs> think he's one of the biggest villains in this whole thing. And maybe there are other people around him who are talking clearly, but Brown is not a straight talker. Anyway, Mike Hampton, Hong Kong. Uh, let, let's uh, hand the conversation over to you. What, what are your comments? Uh, well, I, I think Mish's uh, sort of uh, look forward into 2009 is brilliant, and everyone should read it. And um, I, I'm actually in the middle of writing my own. I don't write as fast as or as timely as Mish does. But the, the, the main thing I'm thinking about is is exactly the word Mish picked up on, and that's savings. And you know, I'm sort of thinking one side of the, the equation is savings, the other side is assets, and. You know, the, the, the big fact of, of the global economy is that um, the savings is mainly in Asia and uh, the consumption and asset building has been mainly in the West. And essentially what's been going on is savings have been moving, had been moving from, from Asia into the West, mainly into houses, and uh, over the last, you know, 10 years or so. And uh, what that's meant is massive malinvestment. And, uh, you know, that's a word that I think is so important, and you almost never hear it in the press. And, you know, maybe it's because Austrian people trained in Austrian economics like to talk about malinvestment, but Keynesians don't for some reason. But I think it's an important, important thought. And what I see here is real potential, and I'm hopeful still about Obama, is that, you know, that spending, the stimulus that's going to come out of Washington if it goes into something that's not malinvestment, there is a chance for the U.S. economy to stop digging a hole and get start getting out of a hole. And what's been happening with the investment in China is it's been going into infrastructure, things like building railways and 
Uh, actually, there's some need for highways in China, but they've built a lot already. So a lot of the money is going to go into railways, which is a more energy-efficient way of uh, of moving things. And there is some talk about some money going into rails, but I'm scared stiff that Obama might put a lot of money into highways. And this will encourage malinvestment because if he starts building highways in the outer ring suburbs, that's just going to make it worse. What needs to happen in the U.S. is the U.S. has to wake up to the fact that it has invested trillions of dollars in outer ring suburbs, and a lot of those McMansions out there are going to wind up being written off. And you talk about savings. Let me go back and mention that for a second. If the savings of Asia have been going into malinvestment in the outer ring suburbs, that's a formula for global disaster. Because you want to invest money where it's going to show a return, a positive return, not a negative return. And we're moving into a period now where the global economy is going to be massively hurt and is being massively hurt by the write-off of all these suburban investments that have been made. And we have to move away from that. Um, Tom Friedman was out here uh, in Hong Kong. I went to his talk, and I actually asked him a question. And Tom Friedman, I think, is a really interesting guy. I mean, there's sort of three people I really look to for a lot of wisdom here. One of them is Mish, so it's great having him here. Another one is Thomas Friedman, and the third one is is uh, James Howard Kunstler. And um, Mish talks about deflation, and I think he makes a lot of good points. I think we're going to have to see during 2009 whether we've got deflation or deleveraging. And uh, the key, I think, is going to be how the stimulus is directed. Now, just to bring Friedman into this, and I'll try and wrap this long, complicated thought up as quickly as I can, but Friedman talks about the need to inspire investing in renewable areas, green areas. Obama has the chance in his program, and it's an important chance, and if he blows it, it's going to be a big problem, I think. He has a chance to encourage investment in renewables and away from energy inefficient to more energy efficient places. And the best way for him to do that is to impose a gasoline tax. I'm very, very hopeful that Obama will get around to getting a gasoline tax because what that would mean is higher energy prices, higher oil prices, and movement away from investing in the suburbs to investing in things that get America away from its addiction on oil. Now, that's the most hopeful way, I think, for the future. The other sort of wave of the future is Kunstler's, that there's no turning back we're going straight into a, you know, a long emergency and that, you know, in that long emergency, uh, you know, everything's going to be written off. There's really not going to be any hope from, from green technology. So I'd be interested, you know, with Mish's, you know, really insightful views on, on, uh, on deflation and the forces driving it, whether he can see you know, two alternative futures as I do. One is the green future that Friedman talks about where America pulls itself out of a rut by shifting its investment into uh, things that get it off its addiction on foreign oil, on the other side where we go straight into a Cuba-like uh, future that, uh, you know, Kunstler and, you know, foresees for America. Wow, great discussion. I, I think uh, we're likely to see um, the middle road there. But you're right, um, Obama can go either way. I think that there are a lot of people that are too pessimistic on what he might be able to accomplish. I want to see actual results. I don't want to be waving the flag here for Obama, and I don't want to just you know sit back and take pot shots at, at, at everything he does before he even accomplishes them. But there's one thing we need to admit, and, and that is a point that you did not bring up, is that some of these things are on a relative basis. And on a relative basis, Obama is going to be far better than George Bush ever was or ever <laughs> could be. Um, uh, uh, um, dropping bombs in Iraq <laughs> was a talk about malinvestment. Way- exactly. Talk about it, it is uh, investing money in something that destroys something is it's it's a negative. It has a negative rate of return. Uh, one of the things that we said when we invaded Iraq was 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 that the oil would start flowing freely, the oil prices would come down. What happened to oil prices? We invaded. 
We flew so many missions over there. The U.S. military is one of the biggest consumers of oil in the world. I don't know if people knew that. But all these missions that we flew, all these troops that we transported, uh, 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 massive consumption, enormous mail investment. We had no business going over there in the first place. Plus, we shut off the production of supply of oil coming from Iraq. So, you know, it's no wonder. Then with China, I believe, investing in malinvestments in, in building the cities, a massive, uh, you know, to, to a certain extent, I understand why they, they did it, you know, why they wanted to get the people off of the farms and into the cities. We're seeing a reversal now in China. It's quite amazing. The, the, the jobs are drying up. The manufacturing is drying up. Exports are drying up. There are no jobs. The people are going back to the plow. Uh, I wrote about that on a post of mine called The Yellow Brick Road, uh, reminiscent of a song from uh, Elton John uh, from the U.K. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. I'm going uh, back to back to my plow. That's what's happening in, uh, in China. I don't think it's going to happen here in the United States, but um, some of the things that Obama's going to do, even if they're wasteful, they're going to be less wasteful and more dollar friendly than than the things that that Bush did. So um, I'm encouraged by those, but I'm also discouraged by some of the things that he's going to do. He wants to rebuild schools. Uh, I think it's a total waste of money to go into these schools and make them more energy efficient. Where's the bang for the buck? That for one trillion dollars, and I don't even know if this is a good idea or not, actually. I'm just going to throw it out for the sake of argument. But for one trillion dollars, we probably could have lined up I-10, which stretches from San Diego all the way to Florida, with parabolic mirrors gathering the sunlight. I mean, this is a sunbelt, massive sunbelt across the United States, you know, on, on, without even confiscating any property. You know, it's just all along the interstate there, uh, uh, public property that the government already has, line them with mirrors, spend it, you know, had we not spent a trillion dollars in Iraq and instead put that trillion dollars to, to gathering, you know, heat, even if it was inefficient, we would at least have had some return on our money as opposed to totally blowing a trillion dollars and looking ahead to all the medical liabilities for these returning soldiers, the mental liabilities of these returning soldiers, keeping uh, care of their physical and, and psychological needs. The, these people have been damaged, arms, legs torn off, unproductive now. What a total waste under the Bush administration. So uh, um, I agree with Mike. I, I think there's, there's uh, some things that Obama is going to get right. I think there's a lot of things that Obama is going to get wrong. On net, it is a benefit over what has happened over the last eight years. Now, the question remains, is it going to be enough of a benefit? Um, and it has to be in comparison with the capital needs of, of what other you know countries are doing. The uh, U.K. is in a... <laughs> mad rush to oblivion, I believe. And I'm even questioning what's going on in China right now. So uh, um, if Obama manages to blow less money than other countries on a relative basis, the U.S. dollar can actually strengthen, and um, we can see uh, uh, jobs here. That doesn't mean you know he's going to get everything right. He's, yeah, I think he's going to get more things wrong than right, but he's going to get more things right than Bush did. Hey, hey, Mish, I got to say something about the Yellowbrook Road here because, you know, it's something, uh, you know, I read about in the papers and I talk to people about here in Hong Kong. And, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's a great way of looking at things. And the, the numbers are just unbelievable. In fact, I'm going to give you a number I read in the South China Morning Post and it made me fall off my chair and I had to get up and read it three times before I could really believe it. But the number was how many migrant workers are in Guangdong province? How many, and I've asked people this question, including one of the top economic guys at Goldman Sachs, and, you know, he came up with a very different figure. But here's the number that the South China Morning Post reported, just a staggering number. 190 million workers in Guangdong province who are migrants from other parts of, of China. 
And a lot of them are going home back to their plows. I mean, 190 million. But by the way, the figure from Goldman Sachs was 80 million, so it's quite a big difference. And maybe it's yeah, hard to count all those millions. But even 80 million but, is huge. The, I yeah, mean, it, you know, look at what we're talking here. You know, in, in terms of jobs in, in, in the United States, Obama wants to create what three million jobs. We're talking 80 million jobs. Look at the order yeah. of magnitude. Even if it's the lower end of that range, that's what we're talking about here. And and and, and all of the, those, those migrant workers were, were there, had to build housing for them. You know, condos. You know, you know all the the, man, the toy manufacturing. The electrical needs of all those people that they didn't have when they were back on the farms, uh, uh, you know, on the rice paddies, did they even gain anything, you know, being separated well, I think that, perhaps I, from their wives? Well, I think they did, and I think what's interesting is is happening now is is I mean, I've been in, I've seen some of these factories. My partner's uh, f- family runs a jeans factory in in Zhuhai, and I've been out there and seen it and. The, the people who work in those factories, I mean, they typically, they, they, they live in dormitories. And, you know, they're not really very expensive, uh, well-constructed dormitories. I mean, they're pleasant enough inside, but they're pretty much put together uh, quickly and not that expensive. But, you know, in this climate, which is warmer, it, you know, is a good place to live, uh, better maybe than they had on the farm. Um, but, you know, so it isn't like that there were... It, thousands of condos created for the workers from from the farms and you know typically what would happen anyway they would go home and then you know one third to one half of them wouldn't come back after chinese new year they all go home around this time of the year you know between christmas and chinese new year and then they come back when the orders are you know come in well a lot of them won't be coming back this year there was a figure in the south china morning post yesterday talking about how 5,000, I think the four, figure was 4,800 4, factories, toy factories were being shut down yeah. uh, with a loss of 2 million jobs. That was in the paper mm-hmm. here yesterday. But what's interesting is some Chinese friends of mine who travel into China and, you know, know the owners of those factories, because a lot of those owners of factories are in Hong Kong. What's actually happening, and, and, and this maybe won't, you know, co- cover all the workers going back to their villages, but what's happening now is the factories are going to be following the Chinese workers into the villages. Um, you know, it's kind of a hardship for them living so far away from their wives and husbands and families and, you know, working in Guangdong. And what's happening now is the factory owners are looking to set up factories, you know, in the villages, closer to the villages. And the infrastructure that China's building is partly to allow that to happen. Um, and, you know, another thing is it's probably easier to absorb uh Let's say 20% of those people go home. Let's say the figure is 100 million and 20% go home. That means, you know, maybe 20 million people going back to the plow. Uh, that's a lot. But they're not going back to the kind of hardship that, you know, we might see in America if we went back to the plow. They're going back to homes that they've been paying for, uh, a village that's been built up by the money they've been sending home, and maybe to new, some new jobs in those, in those villages as well. So, I mean, to me, that's a great buffer that China has that people can go back to. And, you know, that all those loss of jobs, in a way, because America had this consumption economy, not a manufacturing economy. The manufacturing was in China. So, you know, a lot of the pain is being felt not in America where, where the demand is being lost, but it's being felt in China where the buffer of those villages and farms can absorb those people maybe more easily than if people were going back to the plow in America. So, uh, I mean, maybe... Maybe one, is, one can be a little bit optimistic that this won't work out as a total tragedy for China. Now, the other thing is China does have the savings. So I, I'm worried that if China starts directing you know, its savings to its own domestic economy and building uh, demand um, in, inside China, it's going to starve America of capital. Um, interesting thought that's been raised before in many ways. There was a, a massive influx of uh, capital into China taking advantage of this. And what China has to fear, actually, though, is a massive exodus of those U.S. dollars. And I know that they mm. fear that. And that is why their treasury reserve, that is why their reserves are, 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 are as high as they are. I keep hearing all these things in the news. What if China sells? What if China sells all these treasuries? 
Well, for the first thing, uh, um, foreign central banks or any central bank anywhere does not hold currency reserves a, as a means to make a profit. So, you know, China is not attempting to make a profit off of off of uh, treasuries or U.S. dollars it holds. Japan is not attempting to make a profit off of off of treasuries or U.S. dollars that it holds. It is doing so. They are doing so for other reasons. Mainly, they they want to devalue their currencies to keep the export alive and of course that that model here is dying as we're discussing here because the u.s consumer is now is, is now dying but uh the second thing is we've had the, the 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 massive influx of of capital from hedge funds or whatever just just being parked in china on the idea that that the renminbi was going to be uh, um, skyrocketing high up high. Now, uh, had China, if China did not have those reserves, and those hedge funds go to take that profit, assuming that that, that skyrocketing did occur, China would have been in a, in a, in a uh, world of hurt on that flight of capital. Instead, instead, China is cushioned and is prepared for that flight of capital uh, uh, out. And as far as demands for treasuries go, look at the savings rate in the U.S. that we've talked mm. about. The savings rate in the U.S. is going up. The demand for treasuries in the United States, even at these low rates, even at zero, is 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 pretty substantial. So uh, uh, I think you know all, you know all of this talk of of well china is going to you know massively sell whether well, or not because there's reasons why they're not going to and uh that that collapsing us treasuries well that's not going to happen either because us internal demand is going to pick up where uh uh, uh demand from uh, uh china and japan has has fallen off and then uh, Japan's about getting ready to do something stupid. I, I think they're probably going to do it again. Uh, they don't like the appreciation of their currency. No one likes a strong currency these days. They they, they all want to uh, uh, keep focusing on this model that can cannot work of getting the U.S. consumer to consume. I think Japan's going to make a mistake of of. Uh, of uh, uh, blowing, you know, more yen, attempting to to support the dollar, that eventually is going to backfire on them in a in a massive, massive way. Um, Mish, let me pick you up on a on a point you made earlier. You described the UK as a, as on a mad rush to oblivion. Uh, would you care to expand on that? <laughs> well, I think actually you know more about this than I do. But I, I, I'm just, I just read things in, in the Telegraph and on the Times, uh, um, uh, Financial Times, uh, about things that are going on and, and just statements that, that, that come out and, and uh, you know, from the mouth of Brown, where he, uh, wants to drive interest rates down to zero. Uh, good Lord, Japan tried that, it didn't work. The U.S. tried that and didn't work. Why does the UK need to try that and work? And in terms of socialism, sadly, the US is heading there. I think the UK is ahead of the game on the US, <laughs> uh, or behind, I guess, because this is a bad thing, not a good thing. When it, when it comes to government control, there's very few people that can compete with us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So th these are the kind of failed policies that we see, and we also see them in France, and I, I believe we see them in Spain. So uh, um, all of this, all of these are reasons, actually, why I don't believe the U.S. dollar is going to collapse. We, we've discussed China already, and uh, we're discussing uh, Europe and the U.K., Spain, Ireland, places like that right now. So uh, um, on a relative basis, every country is doing the same insane thing, which is, you know, Keynesian, you know, type of spending to to uh, uh, pick up the economy, and it's a mad race to zerp zero interest rate policy. Well, the, the U.S. and Japan won the game, but uh, um, Brown is insisting upon joining the battle. And it can't possibly do them any good. The only well, stalwart on this is the ECB, but even then, I, I suspect that they are going to be uh, uh, re re reluctant participants 
in this uh, mad rush to to zerp. The, the difference between um, Japan, America, and the UK is that Japan and America have gone to zero interest rates with a f- comparatively strong currency. We're going to zero interest rates with a currency that in the last few months has really fallen off a cliff. This yeah, is an interesting thing. Uh, the... Go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, I, this is a really interesting thing because uh, I think the nightmare scenario for, for everybody is if, here we, we're, we're going into the serious recession. And if you put rising inflation... Uh, prices on top of uh, you know a, a bombed out economy it's 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 a real disaster i mean the only good thing about the last few months is prices are down so people can can make ends meet a little bit better but in the uk i mean with the currency so weak there, there's a real chance that everything imported into the uk is going to go up in price and so uh, the uk may have a bombed out economy and also much higher import prices and that, that looks like it could be a real disaster. Well, we import everything. The only thing we export is, is financial services <laughs> and TV <laughs> programs. Well, we, we export financial services and bombs. Uh, that's what the U.S. does. Uh, yeah. we, and in we fact, we, we, we could well. balance our budget better if we would sell more bombs to China, but we won't do it. I'm not proposing Thank that. God. I'm, I'm, I'm merely <laughs> making a, a statement of fact. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you, um, Mish, let me ask you if you can answer this question. This money that is being used that is uh, to bail out the financial system and it's it's happened here, it's happened in the States, it's happening everywhere. Where has the money come from? How has it been created? Uh, It's being printed. Money doesn't exist. It's it's being uh, created in, being borrowed into existence. It's being printed into existence. However, you want to 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 look at that. The uh, we are seeing um, base money supply in the United States soar. Well, at first it soared under a a swaparama program. I can't. It's uh, there's like twelve different programs: the Taft, the Top, you know, uh, uh, asset backed. Funding, uh, consumer. Fund. I don't even remember the acronyms anymore. There's, there's twelve of them, literally. That, that these programs that the Fed has now. So far, those most of those have been re- uh, revolved around swapping of dodgy collateral uh, uh, from these corporations to the Fed in terms of Treasury. Now, all of that was it was a pretending game. Now, while that swapping happened, we saw base money supply soar. But that 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 really wasn't printing. I mean, it it could result in printing if if all of these assets go bad. But otherwise, these assets have to be swapped back. This is really just a, a, a shell game. So a lot of the the um, screams from the inflationists about the soaring base money supply are, are, are so far anyway simply off base. You know, the Fed's printing, the, the treasuries are sitting there at banks, the banks aren't lending, the money doesn't go into the U.S. economy, it doesn't do anything. It's as if I had, I invented a, a printing machine that could print bills so good, counterfeit bills so good that the treasury couldn't even distinguish them from their own bills. And, but let's say I did that and printed a trillion dollars worth of these and buried them in my backyard. Well, nothing would happen. It wouldn't affect any prices. It wouldn't affect the economy. Nothing would happen if I printed tri- a, a, a trillion dollars worth of these and buried them in my backyard. Essentially, the same thing is going on right now, if you ask me. You know, the, the, the Fed's, you know, you know, printing this money. It's swapping out of the collateral, but the banks aren't lending. It's just sitting there. They're, they're, they're plowing into treasuries. It, it's causing economic distortions. It, it's punishing the savers. Uh, you know, so it's not like it's just benign. It's it's a bad policy to do this, but in, in terms of of affecting you know the economy and, and providing any kind of stimulus, it's not doing that. The Fed and the Bank of England and China are go- probably going to go all three of them to the next step, which is you know just printing money not on a collateral swap basis, but just you know printing it to fund these massive projects. If every country does it on a relative basis, I don't think that the U.S. dollar is going to collapse on that. I, 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 but I isn't it, it could. But, uh, go isn't ahead, it Mike. fair to say... 
Mitch, Mitch, that you know, in a way, what what's going on here is 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 if if the people won't spend it them, themselves, and the banks won't lend it, the government's going to spend it. That's what's the going economy on. Yeah. Going. Mm-hmm. So you know, we, we, you, you we know, tried that in the Great Depression. It prolonged the Great Depression. Japan tried that more recently in its experiences with default. We, we have all kinds of proof that these policies don't work. What are the, the government cannot stimulate the economy. The government can only redistribute wealth. So it, it, you know it, they're going to have to eventually, at some point, raise taxes to pay off on all of this. Is we're, we're borrowing from the from the future again. No real economic activity is going to going to result from this. On the other hand, and this is the point that you mentioned earlier, that's important to come back to. We are increasing the asset side of the balance sheet versus plainly dropping bombs in Iraq. The the question is hmm. though. How much of that money is being wasted on stuff that doesn't need to happen? And then one has to think, well, how much money is being wasted on a relative basis versus the U.S. versus China versus the U.K. versus the E.U. to, to, to say, you know, which currency is, is going to come out on top of all of this? Well, the one currency that is going to come out on top of all of this, I think we can agree, is gold. And it's just a, a, a matter of time. But, you know, that matter of time might be longer than most people think. If this, if this, uh, I take it then you're bullish on gold in the long term, at least. I am long term bullish on gold. Uh, I have had more people ask me over the last two weeks, what, what is gold going to do in 2009? Uh, and uh, it was it was a lot easier to uh, uh, in in a couple of years past to predict you know what gold was going to do and um, what treasuries were going to do. I was one of the very few that called for new all time low yields in, in U.S. treasuries. Now looking ahead, I, I don't think it's so easy from here. I think gold has risen from from uh, $250 to, to um, nine, actually to over 1000 and then fell back to 700 and is now flirting with 900 again. The, the, uh, um, this is a process and not an event. I think people are waiting for this event. They're waiting for the, you know, the trade of the century where, where gold just, you know, blasts from, from, uh, 900 to $3,000 or something. I don't think we see that. I think this is a, this is a process as, as people get, you know, more and more discouraged with what fiat currencies are doing, with what their countries are doing and and eventually you know we start to see gold rise we saw it in in uh 2005 where where gold rose against all currencies even though the US dollar uh uh, uh strengthened uh, um for a bit this is what i don't know we may or may not see that again in 2009 but i think eventually we are going to see that and um, uh, on that basis, and also just for political reasons, we don't know what the U.S. is going to. We don't know what's going to happen here. We don't know what Obama is going to do. And if one's living in the U.K. or China, they can say the same thing. There's a very, very good reason for, uh, I believe, holding gold outside of your own country, just in case something dramatic happens and you feel like you have to get out and leave i um, and, uh, i've got two comments on that and my stepdad is actually south african and i was talking to him over christmas and he fled south africa in the 1970s and uh, in those days it was impossible to get your money out of south africa and the rand was being devalued and he said he left with 50 krugerrands he smuggled 50 krugerrands out because it was his way of getting his money out of the country and into the uk and uh, that, that story just stuck in my mind. Maybe I shouldn't be repeating it on the radio, but I think it's too late well, for no, anything that, to happen. No, that, that's a fantastic story. And and someone asked me just today, well, you know, why do we want to hold gold outside the, the current, you know, the country? Well, you know, what if you need to leave? Are you going to be able to get the gold out of the U.S.? Are you going to be able to get the gold out of the U.K.? You know, uh, uh, um, uh, probably easier the latter than the former, but but who really knows? And um, it's disappointing, kind of, that uh, uh, James Turk's not here, you know, in on this. But I'm a, I'm a big fan of of James Turk at at, at uh, Gold Money, 
and I I like what he's doing. I like the thesis behind gold money, and he doesn't hype it up like you know some of the other people. You know, he's not going to come out and and uh, um, um, you know predict you know that the gold is going to shoot up. Uh, uh, Phenomenal percentages next month. He, he thinks it's going to happen over time. And, uh, you know, I think it's likely over time. I, I think my targets are a lot lower than, than other people's. But, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's best to not overplay and not overhype, uh, um, um, in, investments and, and for people to really understand the reasons why they should be holding these things. And a lot of it is, is an insurance hedge. Uh, an insurance policy uh, against you know things that might happen you know more so than that than 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 trying to participate in any speculative bubble that people think might be coming i think that's the wrong reason to hold gold mike you you look at short-term charts what what, what are your views of, of where gold's going from here well, actually, that's interesting because uh, I think you both remember back in 1980, uh, gold hit a high of 850, and uh, we're we're back at more or less that level right now, and so that's an important level historically. Um, but what's also interesting is, you know, I look at the charts and moving averages a lot, and the one-year moving average right now is around that same level too. It's about 850 right now. And um, what I'd like to see from a bull-to-gold uh, basis is I'd like to see the gold price blast blast off from this level and get the other shorter-moving average, 21 days, 76 days. I'd like to see those moving averages go above uh, 850, above this one-year moving average. And then I think there'd be no looking back. And, you know, gold could move quickly to 1,000 to new highs, uh, actually, I think Jim Turk was talking about 1,200 this year and maybe 1500. even 1,800. 1,500, right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, so, you know, for that to happen, for gold to more or less double from the recent lows, um, then, you know, we, we really need to see, you know, gold trading healthily with volume above 850. For the, for the time being, it looks like it hit these levels and a little bit ran out of gas. But, you know, I think yeah, maybe it's sort of banging on the ceiling. We're also running into a um, um, negative uh, seasonality. The favorable seasonal trend mm. on gold is probably going to end at the end of this month. But we also know that in 2005, for the full year, the, the U.S. dollar strengthened, and and gold went up right along with it. I think we I think we're going to see that pattern again. I don't know if to, if if we see that in 2009. This is one of these things where. You know, I don't think you bet your life on it, but you put whatever you're comfortable into gold, and you just buy it, you hold it, and you forget about it. Maybe periodically add to it, and 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 stop worrying about it. You know, just look at it as as not gold, not as as it's priced in U.S. dollars, but just you know, and think I'm accumulating grams of gold. Uh, I think that's the best way to look at it, and 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 stop worrying, you know, about what price you know, uh, uh, is on it. And I think that's real savings for for someone, you know, t- to do that, and in the best kind of way. And uh, um, but you know, there are first things first. Anyone that's sitting there with, um, you know, paying off credit cards at eighteen percent interest. Uh, um, damn well be better be paying off all of those credit card bills before they even think about investing in gold or anything else. I have to say, I, I'm actually more bullish about gold stocks than I am about gold at the moment. Um, gold, as comparative to everything else, is held up pretty well, whereas gold stock, stocks sold off dramatically and they've bounced back. And um, I'm seeing some very positive action in gold stocks, both in the majors and right down to some of the junior explorers this past week have, have been doing exceptionally well. I've noticed over the course of gold since it was in, you know, about $250 down since there, it does this, it has this kind of pattern that it follows where it has an up move that lasts about six or nine months and then it consolidates for a year to 18 months and then it has another up move for six or nine months and it's followed that pattern really consistently and the last big up move took us from about 650 in august 2006 through to a thousand dollars in march 2007 and now we're in that kind of post up move consolidatory phase which i 
see continuing until perhaps until August, uh, at which stage the next big up move commences. That's an interesting time frame because, um, and that gets back to the deleveraging thing that I actually wanted to touch on that Mike said earlier. I don't think deleveraging is done. I think uh, we're going to see more delevering. I think a lot of it is done, but I don't think all of it is done. I think we're going to see um, uh, still more more flight from hedge funds. I think hedge funds are are probably overloaded in uh, uh, commodities, overloaded in gold. And um, so I think there's room easily here for another pullback in commodities, including gold. And that time frame actually kind of rings through to with with the uh, my thesis for you know the 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 fourth quarter again, which would actually starting in August be uh, start another positive positive seasonal pattern for gold, which normally runs from August through. Uh, January, uh, maybe that's when we get the next blast higher. Again, this is speculation on uh, on, on all of our parts, but um, uh, I think the seasonal trends uh, for gold um, starting in August of of 2009 are going to play out a lot better than they did, which was very weak in uh, August of 2008. Um, Mike, let's turn it to you. Just, I will just say, we're coming up, we've been talking for almost an hour, gent, so I'm going to wind this up now. But Mike, uh, um, Hong Kong Mike, let, let's have some final thoughts from you. Sure. Um, watch China. Uh, China has uh, $2 trillion nearly of, of reserves, half of it's in U.S. dollars. Uh, something to watch for eventually is to watch that money, uh, those dollars, uh, staying in dollars in a way, but going into dollar-denominated U.S. stocks. If we see a lot of that, that could really help the markets. Uh, maybe we won't get that sooner. Maybe we'll get that later, but it, I think it will come at some point. And also buying with their with their uh, reserves commodity companies in the stock market and uh, out, out, outside the stock market. I think this is something critical to watch, and somewhere along the way it's going to have a really big impact on the markets. Good stuff. Mish, some final thoughts from you? Oh, final thought, uh, 2009 is going to be the year to be nimble. I think it's going to be a market of, of halves or three-quarters. Like I said, I don't think one needs, wants to be dogmatic, either betting um, against the U.S. dollar or on the dollar. I think one's going to need to uh, flow with the punches here. Uh, um, I think we're going to see deleveraging continue, and, at least in the first half of the year, and uh, maybe if Obama does some of the right things, that uh, maybe we can put in a, a a bottom in the stock markets later this year. That remains to be seen. The failure to do that this year means um, uh, that we're going to drag this thing out, just like Japan did, floundering around here um, um, for years, possibly even a decade to come. Uh, sadly, I think the latter scenario is, is in a lot of ways more likely. Even if Obama does the right things and we start to rally, um, I, I, I would caution against expecting a, a blast higher uh, uh, in the S&P that's just going to keep going and get back all those gains. It's not going to happen. Um, uh, Bear Stearns is out of existence. Lehman's essentially out of business. The um, leverage at uh, financial institutions is being reduced right now. Bear Stearns, Lehman, Merrill, Morgan, all leveraged uh, 30, 40, 50 to 1. Uh, I think you would see it even higher than that if you actually looked at what was on their books that's uh, kind of not being disclosed. That's going to come back down now to uh, uh, ranges that banks have to deal with of 10 to 1, 12 to 1. So those earnings aren't going to come back. The mindset of the U.S. consumer is not going to come back. I think we're, we're in a mode now where, where, where savings has kicked in and uh, um, speculation has been drained and uh, the desire for goods, boats, houses, big, forever bigger and bigger houses and cars and boats is, is gone. So those earnings aren't going to come back. The best we can hope for here is that the stock market bottoms and then goes into um, some kind of trading range, maybe trading between uh, 700 and 1,000 for years to come. That's, I believe, the best that we can hope for. 
Good stuff. Well, if you want to read Mish's superb blog, just Google Mish or go to globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com and I heartily recommend it. And if you want to read Mike Hampton's or participate in Mike Hampton's superb forum, go to globaledgeinvestors.com. Miss Shedlock, Mike Hampton, thank you both very much. It's been a tremendously enlightening conversation. Thanks, Dominic. Pleasure to be here. A pleasure to talk with you, Mike. A lot of good ideas coming from you. Thank you very much, both. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight, with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.